If you would, go ahead and uh, pull up your devices and read along with me. We're going to go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. 1 Kings, chapter 19. We're going to start at verse 15. I want to give a title to this message this morning. I don't normally do this, but I did it a few weeks ago. Not that anybody really cares, but I normally don't do that kind of stuff. This week, I want to give a title again to the message. And today's message is going to be entitled... The chains of change. The chains of change. And I know that's kind of hard to say. Try to say that three times real fast and watch everybody in the room laugh at you. But I thought that was appropriate, though, because we're going to be talking about this interaction between a guy named Elijah and a guy named Elisha. I don't know why their names sound almost alike. They just do. I don't know why God decided to put them together. He just did. I think maybe he did it so that he could make preacher guys like me say the wrong name 30 times in a message while they're talking about these two together like we're going to have. So if you, if you uh, hear me say the wrong name at the wrong time, just say, ha-ha, God pulled a good one on him because, man, this is tricky to mix them up. Uh, it's really easy to mix them up sometimes. First Kings 19 and verse 15, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. God just kind of um, helped Elijah get back on his feet and get focused again on the ministry that he called him to. And God's here giving him some instructions on what he wants him to do next. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha. So far I'm doing pretty good on this. Uh, Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Meholah to secede you as prophet. Just, I'm going to stop here for a second and just throw this out. Uh, all you married couples right now that are like locked up in the house under quarantine, uh, I just want to give you some name candidates for all these quarantine babies that we might have popping up in about nine months. You know who you are out there. Y'all been having a second honeymoon. Um, so I want to, just some names to consider in nine months when you're trying to figure out what to, to name this baby. Uh, Haziel, Aram, Jehu, Nimshi, Shaphat, that's a great one, um, Abel, Mehola, those are all great baby names to consider for nine months down the road just in case you need them. So God's telling Elijah, hey, go find this guy Elisha and I want you to anoint him to be the one who's going to secede you as prophet. He's going to follow after you. So Elijah goes on this trip to find Elisha. Now he's walking about 300 miles to get to where Elisha is. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 19, we're going to skip down a little bit. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And there you go. It, it's crazy. It's Elisha is out there plowing this field, and Elijah just comes walking up out of nowhere, like it's his style to do, and he throws his cloak on him, and then he keeps going. It's crazy, because Elisha's life is about to change. And he has no idea that it's about to change. He's just doing what he would normally be doing, taking care of the affairs of the family farm, making sure that the, the fields are plowed up and he's doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He had no idea that God had told Elijah that he was going to be his successor to be the next prophet in Israel, just doing the daily task. And Elijah comes walking up to him. And this is cool if you don't know the significance of what's happening here, you kind of miss it. Elijah walks up and he puts his cloak on Elisha, which at that time meant he was choosing Elisha to be his servant, his apprentice, and the next one in line to be prophet. This was a huge deal. But he just walked up and he did it like that. You know, and I'm thinking, like, in my mind's eye, I, I love poetic kind of things. And I'm thinking, like, when God chose David to be king over Israel... David was out in the field doing everything that he was doing, and he sent the prophet Samuel down to uh, where David's family was to, to pick the king. And 
David has no idea what's going on. Samuel says, none of these people here are the king. And then Jesse goes, oh, yeah, I got one more kid who's out in the field. So Samuel says, nobody's going to sit down until that dude gets here. So when David walks out of the field, he's got his whole family, the prophet, and all the people that are there standing at attention, waiting for him to walk up so that Samuel could anoint him to be king over Israel. It's this huge moment in front of all these people. And like when Jesus steps into his public ministry, he's in the crowd and he steps up and John the Baptist points him out and he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of all the world. And he goes into the water and comes back up. The Bible says that the sky split apart and the Holy Spirit descended down like a dove. And all the people that were there saw this happening. And you could hear the voice of God the Father booming out. And he said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Now that's an awesome validation and call in the ministry, I think. But for Elisha, it happened like this. Elijah comes walking up while he's plowing a field. And Elijah just goes... And then he just keeps on walking. Like, didn't even say anything, really. Just dropped the cloak on him and kept walking. And that's how it happened. And that's really how fast change can happen in our lives. Whether we're ready for it or not, one thing I've learned is that one of the most eternal constants in life is that change is going to happen. Whether you want it to or not, whether you're ready for it or not, Change is always going to happen. And what we do today prepares us for the change of tomorrow. Now that's big. I want you to pay attention to that. What we do today prepares us for the change of tomorrow. Because change can happen like that. Like none of us has a calendar of events that we're looking at in our lives. And we can't look down on April 16th and say, oh, on April 16th, I'm going to get into a fender bender, and I need to be prepared for that right there. And on, oh, on April 24th, I'm going to get a raise at work. Oh, wow, I need to be prepared for that right there. We, we don't see those events on the calendar of life, so we've got to be prepared for them when we get there because they can happen just like that. Am I telling the truth? Like, it can happen just like that. All the time it happens just like that. Like, if you look at um, Job, this guy in, in the Bible, his life was great. He was rich. He had an awesome family. He was set. And then his entire life changed in a day. And he lost everything that he had. And all of his family was killed. That's a bad day. Change happens just like that. If you look at a guy named Joseph, and this is a guy who, I mean, he was abused by his family. He was sold into slavery. Falsely accused, put in jail. Like the dude had a rough life. Just took the hard knocks of life all of his life, but in one day, his life changed completely, and he went from a forgotten person in a jail cell to the second most powerful person in the world. Life can change for the better or the worse in an instant, but we got to be ready for it before it happens. What we do today prepares us for the change of tomorrow, and Elisha was out there plowing this field just in the grind, doing what his daily tasks were, doing what he was supposed to be doing, when this moment of opportunity presented itself to him and his entire life was about to be changed. But if he wasn't ready for the change, when the time for the change came, he would not have been able to step into the new season of his life that God had prepared for him. Are you guys catching up with me this morning? That's why you've got to be ready for change before the change happens. What we do today prepares us for the change of tomorrow. You've got to be ready. And there's a lot of stuff in life that we don't have control over. There's a lot of variables in life that brings change into our lives that we don't have control over. And there's some stuff, though, that, that we do have control over. There are changes that, that we can make ourselves. And, and I want to give a, a few different scenarios for change to you. I mean, there's change that we can make ourselves. We can choose to change certain aspects of our lives. We can choose to make quality decisions to change our health, to change our attitudes, to change our mindsets, to change our work ethics. We can choose to change our behavior. We can choose to do the things that are going to draw us into a closer relationship with God. We can choose to make those changes and see the results of those changes, either in a positive 
or in a negative way in our lives. And sometimes the initial changes that we make create this ripple effect of changes in and through our lives for years and decades that we don't even understand. That's why what we do today matters. And it's important that we prepare today for the change that's going to come tomorrow. Like when uh, Kelly and I first got married, we decided we didn't want to have kids for a little while. Like we just wanted to have fun, go where we wanted to go, when we wanted to go. Um, we wanted to say, hey, you want to go to a movie? And then she looked at me and she goes, yeah, let's go to a movie. And then we could just get up and go to a movie. When you got kids, you can't do that. Yeah, you, know, you got to call babysitters and arrange all this other stuff, you know, or find a good secure room to lock the kids in, throw some food in there so they can't break loose and destroy the rest. I'm kidding. You don't lock your kids in rooms ever. You don't ever do that. But we decided we didn't want to have kids early. We waited a while. And then we started talking. And he said, I wonder, wonder what it would be like to have children. And we're talking back and forth, didn't like the idea at first. And then the more you talk, and some of you guys had these same conversations with your husband or your wife. And, you know, we said, you know what? We could have a kid. It's probably time to do it. But we'd seen everybody else with their children. And what we thought was, when we have a kid, it's going to be different with us. Like we're going to be the different parents. Like we're going to we're going to love our kids a little bit more and control our kids a little bit better. And and we're not going to be the parents that have the kids going crazy out in the public places. Like it's going to be different. <laughs> and every naive parent that has never had a kid has probably had that thought. It's going to be different with us. And then you had the kids, and reality kicks in, and then you realize, holy junk. I'm just a monkey in this cir circus trying to keep it all together, you know, and you're just figuring it out as you go. So we decided to have the kid. And I remember when Kelly came to me, and she, she had the little pregnancy test, and she said, look, we're, we're pregnant. I didn't figure out how we were pregnant because she was the one that was pregnant, but we were pregnant then. And I began to realize, though, that the change that we decided to have in our life was going to begin to have ripple effects into all the areas of our lives. Because I remember when she told me she was pregnant, I was like, man, I'm so excited. Like on the inside, I was thinking, this is the most awesome thing in the world. And at the same time, I'm thinking, holy junk, I'm not ready for any of this, man. Like I'm just like freaked out all at the same time. And then I began to see changes take place. You know, a woman's body changes a lot through the process of a pregnancy because the change we decided to make it started to cause change to happen in my wife's body, which started to cause change to happen in my lifestyle. And so everything was changing. Uh, did you know this? Did you know that when a woman first becomes pregnant, like the early part of her pregnancy, her hormones double like every couple of days ongoing? That's, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of doubling. That's a whole lot of hormoning. That's a, that's a lot that you got to learn and adjust to. And Kelly did great. Like, Kelly did a trooper. She didn't, like, break down and start crying um, looking at a tree because suddenly it reminded her of the seasons of life and how she was only going to have a short season with the child that we were fixing that or anything like that. She, she didn't go, like, way off the deep end, um, and I was grateful for that. But we, we had to adjust. I did learn that pretzels and popcorn can be a legitimate food group, and you don't mess with that. Um, I did learn some of those things in life. Like, you, you learn, and like, the change produces change in your life. And I remember we were at the hospital, and we, we would, we, Kelly had just given birth to Hannah, and it was so awesome because the, the nurse said, here's your child, and I went, oh, this is amazing. All the emotions hit you, and then in the back of your mind, you're going, oh, my gosh. I'm not ready for any of this, but here she is, so we better be ready for it now. Whether ready or not, here she is, you know. And, and so the, we spent a couple of days in the hospital, and it was awesome because when the baby, uh, when we got tired of seeing the baby and we wanted to sleep, we could say, hey, nurse, come take the baby away so we could sleep, and it was a great paradise. And then it came time for the paradise to end, and they said, okay, everything's good, mama's good, baby's good, it's time for you guys to go home. 
And I remember thinking, they're just going to send us home with this thing? Like, we didn't even, we barely even got an introductory class to how not to jack up your kid for life, you know. And now they're going to let us take this thing home. We're responsible for it. Like, here it is, but there's no way we're ready for this. So we go home and you get, it's all of this change. And people would ask us questions about the baby early on just to try to connect with us and talk with us. And it was great. We did learn this, though, that on the box of diapers and stuff where it says, like, 16 to 20 pounds, it's not lying because that's all those jokers will hold. You got to change those things every day, dude. You got to be on it because those things fill up fast. And, and so people would ask us, so is the baby sleeping all the way through the night yet? And we'd be like, far as we know, baby's sleeping through the night. We just put on the TV, and then we go to bed. You know, we, she, we hadn't heard too much noise coming from there, so we thought that, I'm kidding, we weren't horrible parents. But we were, we, uh, it was this, this learning process, you know, and I remember when God decided to put stink in the poop. Like the poop didn't stink for a little while, and then suddenly the poop started stinking, and I'm like, what's up with that? You know, like all of a sudden, the poop's going to start stinking, and so... I couldn't, I just, I don't do good with smells. Kelly's a lot better with smells than I am. But the change that we decided to make created a whole lot of changes in our lives. And I remember um, when we had our, our second child, Abby. Abby's just so different from Hannah. And I love both of my girls so much, which, by the way, I know they're watching right now. So, hey, kids, uh, dad loves you. Hannah, daddy loves you. Abby, daddy loves you. Kelly, I know you look good, even though you're wearing your pajamas right now, watching me probably, but I'm sure you look good. Anyway, uh, oh, by the way, too, I got to tell you guys this. Uh, yesterday was my parents' anniversary. My parents have been married for 45 years now. Hey, how about somebody drop a comment from my mom and dad, 45 years of marriage. How about that? That is awesome. So anyway, Abby was completely different. I remember one time, I'm going to stop telling you kids' stories here in a minute, I promise, but um, we were uh, at mom and dad's place, and Abby was sitting in a high chair at the table, and Kelly and I had walked into the kitchen for just a minute to get some food, or something. I can't remember what we were doing. I don't know if we were putting up dishes or if we were getting food to put on plates, but we had just walked into the, the kitchen for just a minute, and every parent knows what's fixing to happen, because when you say just a minute, or we were only there for just a second, that's all a kid needs to do something incredibly destructive in a room. And so we, for just a minute, we're in the kitchen, and then Kelly walks back into the dining room, and I hear, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, she's covered, she's covered in poop. And I looked back into the room, and Abby had, I don't know how this is physically possible, which, by the way, diaper makers, parents, we want to be able to count on the diapers that you're making, Okay. We want to know that if we're driving around at a park somewhere and there's a dam at the park holding back a lake, okay, holding back a river, we want to know that if there's a crack in that dam and water starts to come out, that the diapers we have are capable of us taking them and sticking them on that dam and stopping whatever's coming through from the other side perfectly sealed with no issues at all. What we had that day was not that. My baby cranked up enough PSI to explode the most nasty substance you'd ever seen from every inch of seam on that diaper, from the back to the front, coming out the, the front around the legs. Like, she so just, just this explosion of nastiness everywhere had shot out. And then, being the artist that she is, she decided, hey, I haven't painted myself with stuff in a while. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. So she started smearing the stuff everywhere. And by the time we saw what was happening, she had been covered from head to toe in poop. There's a poop baby now. In her hair, eyelids, fingers, fingernails, everywhere. And my wife is like, oh, my gosh, she's covered in poop. She's covered. So we get the plan together. She's going to grab the baby take the baby upstairs to the bathtub and just let the water do its thing and start the process of cleaning. And my job was going to be to take the high chair outside where the water hose was and just begin the process of hosing the thing down, right? And so 
Um, she goes to get some towels to hold on to the baby so she doesn't get poop all over herself. And then she goes back in there, and then I hear these words come from the other room. It's in her mouth. It's in her mouth. She just ate poop. She just ate poop. My kid was eating poop in the high chair at the table. If I had known all those years earlier when Kelly and I were talking about having a kid that we were going to be dealing with stuff like this, we might have thought about it just a little bit longer. Still probably would have pulled the trigger and gone ahead with it. But still, man, you, you don't think about how the changes you make in your life create all these other changes. So now we're neck deep in this mess. And she takes the kid upstairs and starts to wash it off. And I get the high chair and I start to go out the, the kitchen heading towards the front door. And I look up and I see my dad. And he's just laughing and laughing. And he, he says this to me. He says, you got it under control there, son? <laughs> just like that. And he starts laughing. I'm like, yeah, I got it. And then I realized I was a victim in this situation. I became the victim. Because every parent always says at some point over their child a prophecy. And they say, I hope one day you have a child just like yourself so that you will know what it's like for me to raise you. And so it's, it's their fault. It's their fault, but every parent has probably said that or thought that. So I was going through it. So there are changes that we make ourselves that, that impact our lives, you know, and these changes create ripple effects of other changes. We got through it. Don't worry. Um, but I could just give you poop stories all day with my kids. This is amazing, some of the stuff that they did. Uh, but there's, there are changes that we can make ourselves, so we can choose to do those things. But there's also like a factor of change in our lives that comes from the world. And this is something that we don't have so much control over. At least I have figured out a way to control everybody in the world. I haven't figured out a way to make everybody do what I want them to do in traffic when I'm trying to get home. I haven't figured out a way to, met, to, let, um, to let everybody know that I need about $18 billion and have everybody give me, like, you probably hadn't either. Like, we could all use $18 billion. And, but we haven't figured out how to control the world. Change is a factor in the world that we really have no control over. And I know for you type A people out there, that's really hard to admit because you like to control almost every aspect of your life and feel like you have it, control of what's going on, and you got the plan, and you got it all figured out. But doesn't life have a, a funny way of letting you know that you don't have it all figured out and you don't have it all under control because you just can't control what's happening in the world? I wish I had a good example right now of something that was happening in the world that would be affecting our lives in a real way. There's something in the world that would be happening right now that would be affecting our finances that we would have no control over. Something in the world right now that would be affecting our families that we would probably have no control over. Or some, something in the world that would be affecting our jobs and, and, and affecting um, our peace of mind and our stress levels and something happening in the world right now that we had no control over that was just jacking up the rhythm of our lives right now. Are you hearing me? Man, because there's things that happen in life that you just have no control over. I have no control over the fact that there's a pandemic going on, not just in the States, but globally. Okay, I have no control over the fact that I have to pay taxes to the government. Somebody else makes that decision for me. That stinks, but we're all in the same boat. There are things that happen in the world that we just don't have control over, and we have to learn how to adjust to those changes. That's why it's important for us to be ready for the change before the change comes, because what we do today prepares us for the change tomorrow, and the world's going to throw stuff at us. We've got to make sure that we're doing our part, though, to make sure that we are ready for the change when it comes so that we can respond and adapt in a mature and in a proper way instead of in an emotional way, losing our mind, losing our peace, watching our anxiety go through the roof, you know. So how do you do that, Josh? Well, let me show you something in Scripture. 
um, that helps us deal with the change that we face from the world. In John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, there's a couple of things that, that we know here. One, that trouble is going to be coming from the world. Okay? A lot of the change that the world throws at us, changes that have to do with inconvenient things and trouble that we're adjusting to in our lives. That's just how the world works because the world is jacked up. It's fallen into sin. The world is broken. And when things are broken, only broken things can come out of a broken system. And so the world is causing trouble and causing chaos. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, I'm going to tell you straight up, while you're on this rock swinging around this sun in this big old universe, okay, while you're here, you're going to have to deal with some trouble. It's just given. Okay, it's going to happen. You're not exempt from it. I'm not going to be exempt from it. We're all going to have to deal with the trouble that comes from the, from the world. But he told us something before that that's the key to this whole thing in dealing with the change that comes at you from the world. He said in John 16, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. See, Jesus is drawing a line here and he's saying, listen, I want you to understand, okay, this world is messed up. If you want peace, it's only going to come from me. Peace comes from Jesus. Trouble comes from the world. Some of us are so stressed out right now because we're watching the news and watching what government is trying to do and we're watching a virus spread and we're watching our bank account shrink and we're looking at all of the reality and the change that's coming at us in life and we're looking at the world to give us the answers to the problems that are causing the changes that we're having to deal with in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that you're not going to find the solution in something that can only produce trouble, okay? At best, the wisdom of man is pathetic compared to the wisdom of God. He's saying, listen, you're not going to find peace in the world. You're only going to find trouble. You're not going to find solid solutions. Even if they come up with an answer to the problem, it's not going to be a solution to the fact that the world can only produce trouble. So when this storm that we're in right now as a world, as a country, and as what we're facing in our lives individually as a result of all this change that's happening, when this is over, sooner or later something else is going to pop up and it might not be on this scale but it might be I mean just think about how long ago was it people in the United States that the attacks September 11th on the, the World Trade Center towers happened we thought oh my goodness this, and how long after that was it that we saw the major recession and so many people lost their jobs and we thought oh that was horrible now we're dealing with a global pandemic we're all having to deal with listen we say, this is awful you see a trend there as far back as you can look in history you're going to find trouble 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 because the world can only produce trouble so if you look to the world for a solution to that trouble you're going to be disappointed and you're going to get caught up in chains you're going to get caught up in fear you're going to get caught up in anxiety. You're going to get caught up in frustration. Well, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Even if somebody did something about it, there's going to be something else down the road that we're going to have to deal with. That's why Jesus said, in this world, you're always going to have trouble. Okay? That's why you've got to know that I am the only constant source of peace that is available in your life. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's faithful. He's always there. He does not falter in his strength. He doesn't falter in his provision. He does not run out of the peace that he gives. Jesus is the solution because Jesus is the only legitimate source of peace. So while we can't deal with the change that's going on in our lives because it's always going to happen, the constant is that we can know that we have a relationship with a Jesus that loves us unconditionally, that is in control of all the situations of our lives, whether we feel like we're in control or not, 
Jesus is always in control of what's happening. And we have the peace of knowing that he is always working for the good of those who love and trust him. In every situation that we're facing in life and all the change that gets thrown at us, as uncomfortable as it can make us sometimes, he can be at work in it, not just with us, but on the other side of it, preparing the way for us when we get there. Okay? So, trouble comes from the world. Peace only comes from Jesus. And the third change that, that we deal with is the change that comes from God. God has a way of taking what's happening in the world and the choices and changes that we make ourselves in response to what we see happening around us. He has a way of taking that and using it as an opportunity to produce internal change in us, in our spirit, in our hearts, to produce the change that he wants to see, to bear the fruit that he wants to see in our lives. And it's not that, that God creates all the chaos. And I don't want you to misunderstand me, okay, because the world is jacked up by itself. God really doesn't have to create many scenarios of trouble to get our attention because the world by itself produces all that stuff. That's why Jesus said, you're going to have trouble in the world. Um, but God has a way of looking at what's happening and seeing how we're responding and using those moments as an opportunity to grow us and mature us. Now, that sounds a little weird because most of us are trained to think that God is supposed to be there for our comfort, that God is supposed to be there to pat us on the back when we've had a hard day. And that is an aspect of who God is. And I don't want you to misunderstand me because the Bible says that he is an ever-present help in our time of need. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. That is true. But there is an aspect of God, though, that is incredibly confrontational. He's not all about comfort. He will confront the issues in our lives and the issues in the world that need to be corrected and need to be changed. And he does that many times through the situations that we face that bring about the change to produce the fruit that needs to happen in our lives. Um, you look at the life of Jesus, like Jesus gave comfort to people and he showed love to people. But Jesus confronted the mess out of stuff. Like, Jesus was confronting, he was incredibly confrontational. He confronted the religious leaders. Jesus confronted, um, he confronted political and social issues all the time. Everywhere he went, he was always stepping into the tension and dealing with the things that needed to be addressed and changed. He was always confronting those things that were out of line to bring them into a proper balance with the word of God. You know, because comfort, I think if you sit in comfort too long, it produces complacency. And comfort serves its purpose for its season, but if you stay in comfort too long, you get complacent. And God doesn't want any of us to be complacent, so he'll step in in the middle of these situations in our lives, and he'll confront the issues that we need to work through to bring about the growth and the change that he wants to see. You understand what I'm saying this morning? God will step into those things and bring change. James chapter 1 says it like this in verse 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing produces. The testing produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, it's the things that we go through that make us uncomfortable. Many times it's the change that comes at us from the world that God is able to use as a trial to perfect and to cause us to grow, to give birth to that perseverance that's going to give birth to that maturity in our lives. If you've never gone through a battle, there's a level of character that you don't get to. Like if I was in an army, 
I say that's awesome that everybody's in an army, like the army of the Lord. That's great. I'm glad you guys are here. But there are people in the army of God that have got real clean and shiny armor. And then there are people in the, arm, in the army of God that have got some dinged up, dirty, and nasty looking armor because they've been through some fights. They've been through some battles. They've got some pieces of their swords missing. The shields are all dented up. They've been through some stuff. And I'm here to tell you, listen, until you go through some stuff, until you face some opposition, and until you face the world turning upside down, there's a level of maturity and trust in your relationship with God that you're never going to get to because you won't be able to have seen him prove himself faithful in a storm. In order to see the storm subside, you've got to be in the storm for Jesus to speak to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to go through the battle, and this is the way that God has set it up. We love to go to comfort, but God is all about not just delivering us from the situation that we're in, but he's more about delivering us through the situation that he's wanting to walk us through so that we can grow and mature and learn to trust him on a whole new level. Like look at, um, for example, uh, Moses. Moses was a great one. Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Got all the people of Israel, marched them out of Egypt, freed them from slavery, went down to the Red Sea, free people at the Red Sea. Pharaoh says, oh my goodness, we just let all of our slave labor go. We're going to be the laughingstock of all the kingdoms around us. We're going to have to do something. We need to go get these people and bring them back. So Pharaoh gets his entire army together, and they go chasing after the people of Israel, chasing after them. Moses, can you imagine being Moses turning around, looking back, and you've got the Red Sea right here, and here comes the entire army of Egypt behind you. And you know their goal is to kill and to capture and to bring you back into slavery. The slavery that God just delivered you from. But instead of looking at a way of freedom, you're looking at an impossible barrier called the Red Sea. And here comes the chariots of, of, of Egypt. Israel's caught between that and a problem. That and an obstacle. That and an impassable object. They cannot get past it. And what God does is he parts the Red Sea and they walk across on the dry ground. What was an obstacle to them became the mode of delivery that God used so that they could escape from the situation. He delivered them through the obstacle that was in front of them. And when Pharaoh's army came behind them and tried to cross, he used that very obstacle to destroy the thing that was trying to capture the people of Israel. When you trust God in the process and you trust him through these times of change in your life, listen, he'll use something that you see as impossible sometimes to glorify his name and to take out the things that you're fretting over. We serve a God that is awesome. And look at um, the life of David. David comes out of a field to bring some supplies to his brothers. His brothers are out there in the army of Israel at the battle line. The Philistines are on the other side. And this guy named Goliath is coming out to the middle of the battlefield, and he's making fun of Israel. He's telling mama jokes. He's calling them all fat. He's calling them all ugly. He's making fun of God. He's throwing insults at them. And Israel is frozen in fear because all they can see is the obstacle in the way. All they can see is the problem that's in front of them. But David walks up, and he doesn't see a problem in front of him. He sees an opportunity in front of him. And what froze the people of Israel in fear, God used that obstacle as an opportunity to catapult David into the kingdom that he was going to lead eventually. See, obstacles and change can produce opportunities for God's change in our lives. And think about Jesus. Jesus had to go through it too. Jesus wasn't exempt from it. He was a perfect example for us. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to be beaten and tortured. He was crucified and killed. And when he died, the disciples scattered. Because they saw that as an immovable obstacle. We cannot deal with the change that's just been thrown at us. This guy that we've been following is dead. Jesus 
physically died. He breathed his last breath. He was dead. No denying it. See, what they didn't understand was that without a crucifixion, there can't be a resurrection. And it's not about what we're going through right now, what we're facing right now. It's about the opportunity that God is working through the situation that we're in on the other side. Okay? Death leads to resurrection. See, God wasn't through with the story there. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you guys, listen, we're, we're looking at change in different areas in our lives. But listen, God is working in and through the change if, if, if. We're allowing him to work in us to bring about the change he wants to see in us through the change that we see around us. Big difference. Big difference. I want to encourage you today. Don't let the opposition that God is using to refine you become a chain that binds you. I want to say that one more time because I want you to hear me. Go ahead and take one more drink of coffee. I want you to look at me. Don't let the opposition that God is using to refine you become a chain that binds you. Because the temptation in these seasons of our lives is to look at the change and look for the solution for the change in the wrong place. And we open the door for the chains of that change to bind us up and keep us from stepping into who God is calling us to be. What does that look like? Frustration, fear, doubt, worry, anxiety. Here it goes again. As soon as I finally get back up on my feet, here comes something that I can't control. And I get laid off from my job again because of this virus thing that I have no control over. Chains, frustration. Chains that come from us looking to the wrong source. Jesus is the only source of peace that we can have that makes sense of the change that we're going through. Because he allows us to understand that everything we face in this world is only temporary. But what we have waiting for us on the other side of this life is eternal. And so we've got to go through a few years of crazy while we're on this rock spinning around the sun out in this great big universe. Yeah, we'll have to go through a few years of that. This year, it looks like a virus. This year it's a pandemic. Next month it might be something different. Next year it might be the personal issues and struggles. Next year it might be something in the family. It's always, there's always going to be something. Jesus says, knowing that now, you've got to be able to find solitude in my peace. See, we want to find comfort, to find comfort from the change and the stress and all this stuff and and so we're binge-watching Netflix, and we're, we're eating comfort food like crazy, and, and we're doing all these things to relieve stress and anxiety because we want to find comfort in the middle of change that's making us uncomfortable. Jesus isn't about that, see? There's, there's a difference between comfort and peace. Comfort is something that can be gotten temporarily. Peace is something that is constant in your life so that no matter what's happening, no matter what the change looks like, we have peace in knowing that we serve a God that's in control. And we serve a God that loves us just as much today as he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus to die for each and every one of us. That peace is unshakable. See, peace has nothing to do with what's going on around you. Peace is a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus. And maybe, maybe, I'm not saying... All of this happened because of this. But maybe God is using what's happening as an opportunity to step into the change that we're facing to bring about some change inside of us and realize 
that maybe we've been trying to find some answers in the wrong place all along. And maybe we need to get back to that unshakable source of peace that only comes from Jesus. Now, I'm not saying God did all this because he wanted to make this happen. I'm saying that God is able to see an opportunity in a time of change to bring about the change that he wants to see in us because that's how he operates. That's how he moves. That's how he grows us up. So what do we do then to put ourselves in a position to be able to operate like that so that we don't let the, the opposition that God is trying to use to re- refine us become a chain that, that binds us so we don't get caught up in the distractions? Well, let's look at what Elisha did, and that'll give us a pretty good clue. 1 Kings 19, verse 20. Going through verse 21. 1 Kings 19, 20 through 21. Elisha, after Elijah put the cloak on him and just kept on walking, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Like Elijah wasn't even slowing down to wait on him. That Elisha had to run him down. That's how, that's how to the task Elijah was. Here, God told me to do this. Okay, now I got some kings to talk to. See you later. You know, he was gone. So Elisha had to catch up with him. And he said, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I love that. Elijah's like, that's cool with me. I'm going to keep on walking. God called you. I'm just doing what God said to do. You can catch up when you want to. That's my paraphrase, but that's what Elijah's saying right here. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. What can we learn from that? When the opportunity for change presented itself to Elisha, he was ready. And he followed the voice of God. And he was willing to pay the price to step into the promise of God for the future and call on his life. They had 12 oxen. That doesn't mean much to us. Really doesn't mean much to me, honestly. Um, that's okay, oxen. That's great. That means that they probably had a lot of land to plow. That means, though, that Elisha came from a rich family. And he had a position of responsibility in that rich family. He had a job. He had it set. And here comes the call of God in a moment to bring change into his life. And Elisha doesn't even bat an eye. He just follows the call of God. Look what he does here. He, he kills. He goes back and he, and he talks to his parents and he says, I'm out of here. I'm going to kiss my mom and dad goodbye. That kind of kiss was a kiss that you give your family in that culture in that time when you are going to be gone for an incredibly long time or you maybe never come back. He says, I know my whole life is about to change now. It's not going to be the same. He realized that. He went back and he killed the oxen. He said, I'm done with this. There's a finality to it. He kills the oxen. He burns the plow. He cooks them. And then he feeds all the people there and he throws himself a going away party. And he says, this is it. I'm cutting all the strings. I'm cutting all the ties. I'm not coming back to this. I'm stepping forward into the change that God is calling me to. Maybe some of us need to take a similar approach in our lives. I know the world's crazy right now and there's a lot going on, but I bet you this is just bringing back to surface something in your life that God has been constantly showing to you again and again and again. And it's a chain that's got you bound 
that's keeping you from stepping into the change that God wants to see in your life. See, Elisha, he destroyed all the options. He's like, I'm not coming back. I don't need a plow to plow with anymore. I'm burning it. I don't need the ox to pull the plow because I'm not going to come back here anymore. I'm moving forward. I'm turning the page. I'm moving into what God is calling me to do. Maybe we need to take that same attitude in our lives and say, you know what? All this stuff that God is speaking to me about, I need to just, it's time to burn the plow. It's time to turn the page. It's time to move forward and to let go of these chains. To let go of these things. To let go of of the distractions. I'm looking at the wrong sources to get the provision. I'm, I'm allowing the frustration and the hurt and all the stuff to carry over. And it's preventing me from allowing God to do the change in my life that he wants to see. See, that's one of the changes that we can control. We can choose to make a change to let go of that stuff so that God can do the change in our hearts that he wants to. Isn't it interesting that with all this stuff going on, all these people losing their minds, we're watching stock markets go up and down and up and down and up and down. And God, while he's concerned about our lives and the effects of it on our lives, because the Bible says that he cares about every detail of our lives, he looks through all of that, through all the storms and all the craziness and all the confusion and all the change, He looks at us and he says, yeah, but how is this affecting you? And what can we do in this situation to get you a little bit closer to who I've called you to be so that you can become everything that I've called you to be and do everything that I've called you to do? It works in the situation we're in now to prepare us for what he wants us to walk into tomorrow. I'm here to tell you, Eastgate Church, I'm here to tell you, everybody that's watching this morning, God's not through working on you yet. And I want to encourage you to not get caught up in the distraction of what you're seeing around you, but to focus on Jesus, because the world's going to produce the trouble, only Jesus is going to produce the peace. And allow Him to work in your heart to bring about the change that He wants to see, instead of getting caught up in all the chains that are around us to keep us from being that. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me.